Hey everyone, welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. Today's special guest is Dr. Linda Bluestein. Linda is an integrative pain medicine physician and former ballet dancer who specializes in treating hypermobility disorders in dancers. It's an amazing interview and I can't wait for you to hear it. I also want to let everyone know that the International Online Dance Competition is back and Acrobatic Arts is so excited to be a part of it. The competition has many categories to choose from. Ballet, tap, contemporary, jazz, hip-hop, urban, Bollywood, folk, traditional, urban spaces, confined spaces, and of course, acrobatic dance. You can submit your videos from May 11th to June 8th. Don't miss out on this wonderful opportunity. For more information, visit iodc.online. Now let's listen to Dr. Linda Bluestein as she explains her approach to the evaluation and treatment of hypermobility within the dance community. Dr. Linda Bluestein, hello and welcome back to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Hello and thank you so much for having me. I really can't believe it's been more than a year that we last spoke and we released episode 20, the Hypermobility MD. It's one of our top five most listened to episodes of 2021. And if our listeners haven't heard it, it is a great fundamental listen to all things related to dance and hypermobility. And if you're a dance teacher, this is a must listen to episode as well as a precursor to our conversation today. With that being said, Linda, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what put you on the path of studying and helping people with hypermobility? Absolutely. And I started out as a ballet dancer, like so many young ladies, and that was what I wanted to do professionally. But as a teenager, I started to get a lot of injuries, joint pain, migraine headaches, things that kept me out of class. And nobody had any idea why. I went to the rheumatologist and the orthopedic surgeon. I did have several surgeries as a teenager. And so I quickly realized, even while I was in high school, that I needed to come up with a plan B. So I, I chose University of California, Irvine for college because they were both great for dance and um, their pre-medical program was also really, really good. And so I knew, I knew early on that I would not be able to pursue career as a professional, but I was really excited when later on in life, my own hypermobility disorder took me out of the operating room. I'm an anesthesiologist and I, I was not able to practice in the operating room anymore because of my hypermobility and complications of that. And so that's when I really took a very deep dive into hypermobility, pain management, in the process of trying to improve my own quality of life, discovered a lot of things that have turned out to help a lot of other people as well. 
We are so thankful for your expertise and especially to have you here today, because as you know, the month of May is Hypermobility Spectrum Disorder Awareness Month. I certainly didn't know that until you told me last year. <laughs> um, could you tell us what this means to the EDS and HSD community and why it's important? Sure. So there is a, a huge unmet need when it comes to people with the hypermobility disorders, which is the biggest umbrella under which there is a subset of people that will have what's called a connective tissue disorder, meaning that there's a problem with collagen or one of the constituents of connective tissue in the body. And these people have been um, historically, you know, suffering for, for many, many years without being properly diagnosed, properly treated, um, even acknowledged or validated. And it's, it's really challenging because in the past few years, we have really been able to do a lot more research. Genetics, oh my gosh, the field of genetics has just exploded. And it's very exciting because we have so much more information than we used to have. So now we really are able to do a much better job of serving this population, even though the most common type, the hypermobile type of EDS does not have a genetic marker yet. Um, and hypermobility spectrum disorders are still a clinical diagnosis, but we, we every year in May celebrate these disorders and we have what's called um, HSD and EDS Awareness Month as a way of raising awareness for these conditions that most of us that are in this space believe, especially when you combine those together, we believe that these are highly prevalent and are really, really under-recognized, under-appreciated in the medical community. It's a time to really celebrate, raise awareness, and also educate. You know, a lot of people in medical school, they, they learn about EDS and they, they learn about the rare types or back when I was a medical student, there probably were like two types or something that I don't even remember. But And now we have 13 official types and then a 14th type has been identified, a sub subtypes of EDS, excuse me. It's just so important to, to educate physicians, healthcare professionals, dance teachers, dancers, everybody to, to know, okay, there are some really, really super rare types of EDS, really super rare. But then there's also these more common conditions. And so what can we do about those? What should we be looking for? And that kind of thing It's just, it's a great time to educate people about that. And we're going to try to do that today with a little more awareness about this topic. I love how you said there isn't a genetic marker yet. And you talk about the research and the developments. And that's why I love having you back on the program because everything is always changing. And I know yes. Yeah, I know that you are one to really stay up to date. So thank you again for coming on. Of course. Uh, so let's jump right in and talk about joint hypermobility. Could you explain the advantages and disadvantages of joint hypermobility and why you think it's essential for dance teachers to be aware of this when teaching? Sure. So joint hypermobility simply means that at least a given joint has greater than average range of motion. One example that dance teachers will probably be very familiar with is the knee. So when you are, you know, in class and you're starting class and everyone's in first position and there's going to be some people whose heels do not come together naturally, if they just let their legs fully extend, right, they can have several inches between their heels, right? Those are extreme 
cases of hypermobility of the knee. It's very easy to spot in dance class when it's, when it's an extreme case like that. In the office, I take out what's called a goniometer, which anyone who's had physical therapy has probably had their physical therapist use this on them. And it's basically like a protractor that we use to measure angles and things. And so we measure exactly how many degrees of knee hyperextension there is, exactly how many degrees of elbow hyperextension is there. And a certain, you know, if you're five degrees hyperextended in your knees, that's not considered um, significant. It has to be 10 degrees or more. So again, you would want to use a goniometer to find the more subtle cases, but there are definitely extreme cases that, that people will see in dance class. We know that hypermobility is much more common in dancers. I mean, some studies show that you know, 90% of dancers have joint hypermobility. Of course, it depends on what scoring system you're using. It depends on, you know, how well you're screening people um, and exactly what joints you're assessing and that kind of thing. But we know that people who have joint hypermobility seem to be drawn to dance. It makes it easier to achieve beautiful aesthetic lines, which of course, especially, you know, in something like classical ballet is super important, but we know it's important in um, gymnastics, rhythmic gymnastics, circus, you know, all of these aesthetic art forms, right? It's super important. And so it's really important for dance teachers to know because the students will go to their dance teacher first. They're often afraid, the dancer is often afraid to really tell pretty much anyone else besides their dance teacher. They are um, statistically re um, reluctant to go to a physical therapist and even more reluctant to go to a physician. There's um, a study that was done a while back that showed that you know, the dance teacher was the number one person that this student was gonna go to for medical advice. And then the physician was, third or fourth on the list, something like that. So it's really important for dance teachers to be aware of these things so that if the student comes to you and says, I, I'm having this pain or that pain. If the dance teacher has this on their radar, I don't expect them to turn into a medical professional, not at all. If they just have this on their radar, then they can bring it to the attention of the parents or they can say, you know, I've heard that there are some conditions that can be associated with being, you know, more flexible, more hypermobile. And so maybe you might want to go to your primary care doctor and have that looked at. Now, what are some common presentations of hypermobility disorders? So we have joint hypermobility, which means that you have greater than average range of motion of a joint, right? Mm -hmm. Within joint hypermobility, we have multiple different types. We have generalized, which is lots of joints. And then we have localized, which is just a few and peripheral, which is hands and feet. We have hypermobility disorders, which are you have joint hypermobility and you have symptoms that are likely attributed to that joint hypermobility. They're not side effects. There are things that travel together and the joint hypermobility is the thing that we can most easily see. Mm. So currently that's kind of the term that we're using hypermobility disorders as the umbrella term, but the hypermobility piece of it may not be, we're kind of using that as a marker and, and, you know, next year, if we chat again, it might be, that might be changed because we know that there's some other really significant things that travel with it. The hard thing is some of the things that travel with hypermobility are, are also quite common in the population. 
20% on average, 20% of the population will have joint hypermobility. And it's higher in younger people and lower in older people. We generally decrease in our joint um, range of motion with age. We know that things that are more common in the population are more challenging to study because it's harder to prove that correlation with between two common things. So for example, sleep disorders. We know that sleep disorders are more common in people with joint hypermobility and people with connective tissue disorders, but that's so common in the general population that that is harder to, um, to prove that association. Some of the things that are also occurring are gastrointestinal complaints. So things like bloating, um, food intolerances, abdominal pain, especially after meals, those things are not very specific, but they are very, very common in this population. And they're important to identify, especially in the dancer, because oftentimes what ends up happening is sometimes medical problems will actually lead the dancer kind of down the path of disordered eating because they start doing things to try to alleviate their medical problem. But if they're doing it without the guidance of a medical professional, especially one who is super knowledgeable about eating disorders and disordered eating, then, then they can end up running into trouble as they're eliminating more and more foods. So we know that, that gastrointestinal complaints are common. We know sleep is common, sleep disorders. We know fatigue is extremely common. Some of the things that are a little bit more specific are joint pain that uh, generally tends to be chronic and longer lasting. We also know that joint instability, which is different from joint hypermobility. Um, is common. So joint hypermobility is where the range of motion is greater than expected. And joint instability is when a person has difficulty keeping the joint in proper alignment. So if you have joint instability, that's a much more specific finding for a hypermobility disorder. And joint instability often will present as what's called subluxations and dislocations. And dislocations is, um, you know, a lot of people probably are familiar with this, but if a joint completely comes out of um, contact with, with um, the proper alignment that it's supposed to have. So if you dislocate your shoulder, for example, usually it's anterior, usually the head of the humerus has completely come out of the socket and, and is in front of the, um, in front of the shoulder. Most of the time with dislocations, especially the first time, it may require um, you know, going to the emergency room and having it put forcibly back in place. But if it happens over and over and over again, then sometimes they go back and forth more easily. A subluxation is where a joint comes out of proper alignment, but it's not fully dislocated. And this is something that's really, really important because I find that there are some people, well-intended, I'm sure, but who are, who are spreading information about joint dislocation that is not accurate. So for example, the hip. Mm -hmm. The hip is much more stable than the shoulder. Shoulder dislocation and subluxation is extremely common. But in the hip, it's not, it's not that common for a dislocation to happen. Can it happen? Absolutely. But without some you know, kind of high velocity force, it's very rare. So most of the time when a dancer thinks that they are experiencing dislocation of the hip, not always, of course, but a lot of the time, it's something called snapping hip syndrome. And there's different ways that, that you can have snapping hip syndrome, but you know, you can have, so you can have like a clunking in a joint 
and think it's a dislocation, but it might not be. Um, but even those things can be more common in hypermobility disorders. So, so those are some of the things that we see with hypermobility disorders. Some of the more specific features of connective tissue disorders like the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes include abnormal scarring and prolonged healing. You might see unexplained stretch marks. Um, you see stretchy skin. Um, you see something called arachnodactyly, which is long fingers and toes. Um, and we also see dental crowding, which is when you, know, you have too many teeth because your, um, uh, your jaw is too narrow. So those are some of the things that we see that are more specific. Something that is important in the dance world also is scoliosis. We know that scoliosis is also associated with um, connective tissue disorders. I learned something new every time I talk to you. <laughs> and I think on the last podcast I mentioned after you gave us all the common symptoms I said you definitely need to see a professional because there's so many different things that could be going on yes um, Linda something you mentioned that I've never thought about is what does happen as you age and you have hypermobility so you you said it's more common in the younger age group but then what happens to those age groups as they get older yeah, that's a great question because it's it is such an important topic because so many young dancers love to stretch, stretch, stretch all the time. They love to stretch. And if you're hypermobile, I'm not saying that you shouldn't stretch, but strengthening is so important for that joint instability that you that you may have that you're not aware of. The other challenge is we only know what our own body feels like. I don't know what your body feels like. You don't know what my body feels like. When I talk to people and they explain things that they're experiencing, so often they think that they're crazy or you know they think that something is normal when it's absolutely not. So yes, you're right. You really need to talk to someone who's really experienced um, and can really help you dissect out what the significance is of some of these different things. So, so yes, with age, we know that that joint mobility decreases. So just think of a baby and how incredibly flexible they are. They're all gumby, right? Mm -hmm. And you think of an old person and how incredibly stiff they get to be. It's difficult to assess in people that are, you know, really, really young. If they're prepubescent, we don't really have norms for, for those ages. So really for like something like the Biden score, um, that's really appropriate when you, when, after puberty, I would say in most cases, I've been asked to assess people, you know, really super young, and I'm not going to label anybody because at that age, unless I do genetic testing and it comes back positive, you know, but right. otherwise, otherwise we want to be very careful about labeling someone that, that young because the body changes so much. And we also know that's more common in females. It's much more common to have joint hypermobility in females. So as we age, we, we generally get stiffer and our joints have less range of motion. What can happen if somebody has joint pain and or dislocation, subluxations, they have different problems with their joints, poor proprioception, that's another thing I didn't mention, but is extremely common with hypermobility disorders. You have difficulty knowing where your body is in space without looking. So your dance teacher keeps telling you to, you know, not hyperextend your elbow or not hyperextend your knee or, you know, um, is working on your your pelvis, the, the positioning of your pelvis, and you are not understanding what the dance teacher is telling you. It could be because your proprioception is not good. You really struggle with knowing where your body is. So, so over time, as people, if they do start to develop symptoms and problems, oftentimes, you know, they stop, they actually stop stretching. And sometimes we stop stretching 
when really we need to be stretching in the right way. We need to be doing things called neural glides and neural flossing, because if you think about it, your nerves are connected, you know, from the brain all the way down to the toes. And, and as we age, we generally get more stiff and it is very hard to gain what you've lost. It's much easier to maintain what you have. Again, working with a knowledgeable physical therapist, I cannot stress enough how important that is because they can teach you some of these techniques, um, especially if you are having any symptoms related to being hypermobile. If you're having any joint pain or um, anything like that, we tend to um, go into what's called guarding. The muscles tend to get very tight around that um, unstable joint. And so as the muscles get tight and we tend to guard because there's pain, we start to have abnormal movement patterns. So the connection between the nerves and the muscle are um, unhealthy. And the longer that that pattern is in place, the harder it's going to be to reverse. So I tell people all the time, it is never too soon to start working with the appropriate dance, if possible, dance medicine professional for whatever that it is that you're dealing with. It is never too soon because they can teach you strategies that will really help you be able to do what you want to do for as long as possible. Now, you mentioned there was a scoring system for joint hypermobility. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the most common scoring system that's used is called the Biden score. And that's a nine point scoring system that looks at knee hyperextension, elbow hyperextension. Can you touch your thumb to your forearm? It also looks at fifth finger and how far you can extend that. And then the last point is for, can you put your hands flat on the floor without bending your knees? The Biden score, especially for dancers, I find particularly problematic. That last point of course, we're training to do that, right? We're training to put our hands flat on the floor without bending right. our knees. So, so lots and lots of studies, they'll, they'll discuss how that point should not even be a factor. That should not even be a consideration. Um, it should be re either removed when you're studying a dance population or it should be adapted. And there's a number of different ways that that's been adapted. But the Biden score is also problematic because six of those points are for the upper extremities. And we know that dancers have more injuries in the lower extremities. That scoring system, you know, is, is flawed in um, a lot of ways, particularly for dance. I mean, it's it's um, it's also not qualitative. It's just you get you either get a point or you don't. There's something called the lower limb assessment score, which is much more complicated to perform, and is much more in depth. I would say, in general, probably physical therapists are by far the most appropriate ones to do a lower limb assessment score. And at the end, you'll still come out with a number, just like you do with the Biden score. But it, it at least encompasses a lot more joints, and it also encompasses the lower limbs, which are very relevant for for dancers. Um, there's also a scoring system called the Bobina scoring system, which also looks at upper extremities, lower extremities. There's a, a point for a general type thing related to like easy bruising. And, um, and so that's a scoring system that I also believe is helpful. And then the the last one I'm going to mention, although there's lots and lots of others, I mean, there's an upper extremity one, Carter Wilkinson. I mean, there's tons of different scoring systems that people have looked at over the years. The last one I'm going to mention, though, is the five-point questionnaire. And I really like the five-point questionnaire a lot. This was developed by um, professors uh, Hakeem and Graham in 2003. It was published in 2003. And it has been validated internationally, many, many different languages, and 
What I like about it is it really assesses for that historical joint hypermobility that we um, that we really, really care about because oftentimes by the time someone has symptoms, they're not hypermobile anymore. So I see lots of people in their 40s, 50s, I mean, even late 30s, they're not hypermobile anymore. They would score a zero on the Byton score or a very low score anyway. But on the five-point questionnaire, they'll score four or five or you know, a significant number of points. The five-point questionnaire, the first two questions are um, taken directly out of the Byton score. And then the other three questions have to do with, you know, as a child, could you amuse your friends by doing, you know, tricks or, you know, um, doing the splits? Did you have dislocations and subluxations? And do you consider yourself double-jointed? If you do the, look at these five questions, and if you score two or more on the five-point questionnaire, it's highly likely that you have generalized joint hypermobility on that five-point questionnaire. I find it a very useful tool. The downside to it is it's completely subjective. So, you know, there's no measuring involved. Um, it, it's based on a person's recall. And of course, you know, they may be biased. I mean, nowadays we have so much information again, to get to a medical professional who really understands because these things are very complicated. And exactly as you said, it changes very, very quickly. So I, every single article that, that comes out, I'm reading, you know, if at all possible, the day that it comes out, I'm connected with a bunch of researchers and um, it's, it's a very, very rapidly changing space. Do you think for dance teachers, the Byton scoring system would be the easiest to use? Probably for dance teachers, it would, because for dance teachers, it's a pretty, I mean, a dance teacher, you can, anybody can buy on Amazon a um, goniometer if you want. Dance teachers could definitely be taught how to, I believe, I believe that they could be taught at least how to distinguish between five degrees of elbow hyperextension and 20 degrees of elbow hyperextension. Right. And then, and then, you know, the, the thumb touching the forearm, that's a very, you know, straightforward thing to do. Um, one, at one point I will quickly mention about that is I know that some of my colleagues will actually take the person's thumb and, and touch it to their forearm. Please, please, please dance teachers do not do that with your students. Please ask them if they can do it on themselves. Please do not do it on them. Right. So that's a good resource for some of our dance teachers. As you mentioned, the joint instability can be very problematic. What are some of the things that you would do to minimize joint instability? So strengthening, 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 strengthening. <laughs> so that, that is like the key. But before you do that, before you work on strengthening, you want to make sure that you are working in proper alignment. So if you just you know, you're a dancer and you listen to this podcast and you think, okay, that sounds like that might be me. I'm going to start going to the gym once a week and just on my own, pick up a set of free weights and, and start to lift weights. Please don't do that. <laughs> please, please, please don't do that. Um, it would be far preferable to work with an athletic trainer or a Pilates instructor or a physical therapist um, depending on your specific needs, each one of those is different, of course, in their training and in their approach that they are going to take. But if you work with a trained professional, they will be able to look at you and tell you when your joints are in proper alignment and have you strengthen in the proper way, because you want to first move 
better and then move more when it comes to, you know, you have to, in order to develop more muscle mass, you have to really put that muscle under a lot of load. You are going to hurt yourself if you're putting the muscle under more load without proper biomechanics. So that's what I would do. Okay. And I received a couple of questions from our podcast listeners. The first question is from Laura in the UK. And the question is, what are your best tips for dance teachers or parents that think hypermobility may be the cause of certain issues that their dancer may be facing? The first thing I would say is that it depends on what the, what the symptoms are or what's raising your suspicion. So the good news is there's a lot of things that you can do without needing the one-on-one um, guidance of a healthcare professional. So I know I've been saying that you, that you need a healthcare professional and you do for certain things, but not necessarily for other things. So for example, if one of your issues is fatigue or disordered sleep, I work a lot with people who they live in different countries. They might live in a different state where I don't have a license. Um, but I will, I will talk to them and I will then make suggestions um, either to their physician or I will give like a one-on-one lecture basically and share some of the tips and tricks that you can use for things like improving your sleep. So a lot of, you know, now it's so we, we've turned night into day. In, in our world. And so we, we can have electricity on, we can have lights on at two in the morning if we want. That is so harmful to our circadian rhythm. So even just something as simple as restoring normal sleep patterns and improving our circadian sleep cycles can dramatically improve other symptoms. So one of the things that I, that I did not mention that I absolutely should have, and I'm glad I'm thinking of it now, anxiety. Anxiety is extremely common with joint hypermobility. People who have joint hypermobility are at much greater risk of um, neurodivergency. So things like ADHD, anxiety, um, autism, autism, uh, autism spectrum disorder, things like that. We know that that's much more common. So there are some things that people can do either, um, you know, trialing different changes to their, to their diet or, you know, um, working on, like I said, working with a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, depending on what your symptoms are, and, and also working on, you know, if what specific symptoms you have. So for example, if you have bloating after you eat or food seems to travel slowly through your gastrointestinal tract, which is another thing that's quite um, common. That's called gastroparesis. If food travels slowly, um, again, those are things that you can work with a registered dietitian nutritionist on. And I highly recommend anyone who's having any of those kinds of symptoms that they work with a professional like that, especially nowadays, because there's so much misinformation that is that is out there and it really is individualized so um kristen koskinen who is the registered resident registered dietitian nutritionist for bendy bodies she says all the time n equals one and it really is true in a in a study they'll always say n equals whatever number so if they looked at a thousand participants it'll say n equals a thousand when it comes to dietary things it's n equals one what's right for you is going to be different than what's right for someone else So those are some of the things that you can try. The next question, the teacher who sent it in would like to remain anonymous. And the question is, I am currently teaching a dancer who I think has hypermobility disorder. 
I have tried talking to the parent, but they refuse to seek help. Should I ask to see a doctor's note before I continue to train this student? Wow, that is that is a fascinating question. And I know from attending dance medicine conferences and spending time with enough dance teachers, and I and I taught for a brief period of time myself, um, and and so I I can just picture the predicament that this person is in. You know, I think that's probably a good idea if they're if they have that high of a of a concern, um, then they then they must be seeing something. If this person has, for example, you know, joint instability or they they injure themselves frequently um, in class, or you know, they're they're really struggling. And and I and I just have so much respect for dance teachers because so many dance teachers are just so so dedicated. I mean, they I've had dance teachers pay me to evaluate their dance student. Um, because the because the parents couldn't afford to pay, so I it just blows my mind the the lengths to which some dance teachers will go in order to help their students. It's really just amazing, and there are parents who are, you know, sometimes they're the biggest advocate, and sometimes they are resistant. So I think that asking to see a doctor's note um, is is not necessarily a bad idea. Now I will say that that doctor's note. Is going to be more or less valuable depending on what doctor the parents take the um, student to. I think that the more more than having a note from a doctor is having a note from a physical therapist. Okay, that's what I would do. I would I would ask that they have the student evaluated by a physical by a ideally a dance medicine trained physical therapist mm-hmm. to look holistically at this dancer and say I think this dancer is is good to go or I think this dancer should be working on these things while they're taking dance class or I think this dancer should stop dance class for now until we can work on these things and then they can resume so basically that would be the three you know outcomes of the evaluation well I know there is so much more uh, (laughs) to know and discover about this topic and we'll put more info and links into the show notes but linda does have her own podcast called bendy bodies with the hypermobility md and it's available wherever you stream your podcast content and this is a great resource where listeners can continue to learn and dive deep into hypermobility related topics so i highly recommend that and linda do you have any other i know summer is coming up are you speaking anywhere or giving classes I am speaking at a uh, mast cell disorders conference. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I'm doing two, two talks there on, we didn't even get into the whole mast cell <laughs> disorder thing. People are like, what is that? Um, but a lot of people probably will know mast cells are a, a, a type of cell in the body that is part of the immune system and they can be overactive in people with hypermobility disorders. So I'm speaking at um, on mast cell disorders and pain. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that. And I'm also speaking at the Bridge Dance Project conference in August. I'm super excited about that. My um, co-host of the Bendy Bodies podcast, Jennifer Milner, and I are going to be speaking at that conference. And I am also visiting the Norris Lab in uh, South Carolina at MUSC. They invited me to come down and check out their facility. And they have found a candidate gene for hypermobile EDS 
So I'm super excited to visit with, um, with them because they're, they're doing amazing work and they have a lot of exciting things that they have coming up in the future. So definitely stay tuned because this space is evolving very rapidly. Sounds like you're busy and <laughs> I hope um, you'll keep a spot open for us next year and we, you can catch us up to date on everything that's been happening. Yeah, as always, Linda, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to, to chat with you. And I'm, and I'm so happy that you are bringing this information to your audience because it is such an important topic. And it's one that I think just really does not get enough recognition and its awareness is improving, but um, we have a long ways to go. So it was a, a pleasure and an honor to get to speak with you. We are so grateful to Dr. Linda Bluestein for guiding us through the ever evolving world of hypermobility. Next up on the podcast is Mr. Mark Nash. Mark is the Acrobatic Arts U.S. Division Manager, as well as a former ballet dancer. If you have a question for Mark or the podcast, please send your questions to podcast at acrobaticarts.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.